Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Anna Staver, and this is Ohio Politics Explained, a podcast where you give us 15 minutes and we give you all the news you need to sound smart and impress your friends when you go out this weekend. Welcome back to another edition of Ohio Politics Explained, the how do you define lobbying edition. This week, we're talking about how a Republican senator is taking another run at gun safety legislation, why the Intel groundbreaking is quickly becoming the hottest ticket in town, what the lieutenant governor had to say about text messages implying he did lobby on a nuclear bailout bill, and whether Ohio's fight over redistricting will go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Joining me this week is reporter Jesse Ballmert. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. So our first topic this week is gun reform. Republican State Senator Matt Dolan released a bill this week that would make several changes to Ohio's gun laws. The first would be to let judges who have already ordered a mental health treatment for people decide whether those issues should preclude them from having access to their firearms. This is a more modest, more narrowly tailored, more something, I'm still looking for the right word, version of the strong Ohio legislation that Dolan introduced with Governor DeWine after the mass shooting in Dayton. That bill got three hearings, but it didn't get a single vote. And Dolan says he's learned a few lessons from that experience. So he's trying to make a he's trying to pass, find something that can pass the GOP legislature, basically. Yeah, this is a tough nut to crack. Republicans have been generally opposed to any form of gun control, whether that be, you know, for individuals with mental health issues before the court or even increasing penalties for those who have guns, even though they're prohibited from having them. There has been a lot of opposition from uh, the Second Amendment rights organizations and groups in Ohio to any sort of change. Meanwhile, you have on the other side, Democrats, um, including the candidate, Democratic candidate for Ohio Governor Nan Whaley, saying there needs to be much more done, that there should be background checks, that there should be more restrictions on firearms in Ohio. And so finding something that both Republicans and maybe some Democrats can get on board with has been extremely challenging. Yeah. I mean, even Governor Mike DeWine has said, like, there are ideas that he supports, but like they just will not go through the legislature. He's even acknowledged that like Strong Ohio was kind of his baby, too. Like he helped create that legislation and Dolan carried it. And like he kind of acknowledges that it went nowhere and he has to kind of rethink what's possible. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting whether this, you know, more narrowly tailored bill is something that can get some movement. I would say if this doesn't, then it's hard to see how anything would. Yeah, it would create voluntary seller protection certificates, just like Strong Ohio. But Strong Ohio had this idea that if you didn't get one and you sold a gun to somebody without a background check, like a private sale, and you didn't get this certificate and they did something bad, you could potentially be civilly liable at a level they call negligent. And like Buckeye Firearms Association was like, that's terrible. It's way too low. And so this time around, he's still doing that same voluntary like seller protection certificate, but it would be reckless. So like you would have to knowingly sell a gun almost to somebody who you did, you had reason to to believe shouldn't own one. So he's like raising the bar on that, making it harder legally, because that was something that like gun rights groups were like, nah, we're not down with this. So I don't know if they'll hate reckless too. 
Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think most polling, which is it's hard to nail down where people actually yeah. feel on this issue, but I think most gun owners support some sort of reasonable restrictions on, on firearms. But what those restrictions are and what is considered reasonable really varies by person to person. It is worth pointing out that the Ohio legislature has passed some bills on guns recently, for example, eliminating training and permits required for concealed carry yeah. or reducing the number of hours needed for training for teachers to be armed in schools. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. So our second topic is the hottest ticket in town. And no, it's not a concert. It's for the ceremonial groundbreaking on Intel's computer chip manufacturing factories. President Joe Biden says he'll be there, even though we don't have an official date yet. He's like, no, no, I'm coming. Whenever it is, we're doing it. And the groundbreaking is a huge deal for Central Ohio. Intel is making a $20 billion investment and says the facilities will create 3,000 jobs that pay like a solid six figures. So like, I think it's going to be a who-who, who's who basically of Ohio. Ohio politics when we actually get this groundbreaking. I mean, who doesn't want to get in on the Silicon heartland of Ohio? Yeah. Um, you know, when I saw that Lieutenant Governor John Houston earlier this week got a question, he's like, will you stand next to Joe Biden at this groundbreaking? And he's like, of course I'm going. It's like the biggest thing Ohio's gotten in like a generation. He's like, yeah, I'm going to be there. Yeah. I think it's hard to underscore just how much this is going to change the Columbus area and how much economic development it potentially brings to the state. It was a big get for the Dwight. Houston administration. It's a big get for the Biden administration to be, you know, making this here in the United States and in Ohio. There was a lot of effort to pass the CHIPS Act through Congress that kind of facilitated this. There's a lot of incentives and, and tax benefits that Ohio is getting yeah. away for it. So th there's something for both Democrats and Republicans to get on board with. And federal and state lawmakers. Like that's why the president's coming in part because of the CHIPS Act that helped pave the way for this. You know, I'm sure we'll see Senator Sherrod Brown and Rob Portman. It's going to be kind of strange, like, because it's uh, it will happen in the coming weeks, right, as we're ramping up to the election to see, like, this bipartisan group of Republicans and Democrats, like, standing there with their little golden shovels, like, smiling. Yeah, it'll be interesting because really in the primary in particular, Governor Mike DeWine couldn't get further away from President Joe Biden and, and potentially are going to be shoveling dirt together. Our third topic is text messages and the governor reaction to them being made public. So for those of you who don't know, Ohio passed a billion dollar bailout for two nuclear power plants back in 2019. And then about a year later, the Speaker of the Ohio House was arrested by the FBI, along with four other men, for allegedly taking $60 million in bribes to pass that bailout. And the trial is set for January, but there's a lot of questions about who knew what and when and who was really involved and how much they were involved in the passing of what we call House Bill 6. So when it comes to the governor and Lieutenant Governor John Husted, we kind of got more of an idea about how involved they were in the passage of this legislation last week, thanks to Jesse's wonderful reporting. And then this week, 
the governor and Husted sort of reacted to the news that they may have been down in the details. Yeah, I think the big takeaway from these text messages, which were filed as part of the Ohio Consumers Council trying to get more access to First Energy executives to ask them some questions. And that's um, the company who said they gave the bribe. Like they've taken a plea deal, basically, saying they did the bribe. Yes, they entered into a deferred prosecution agreement is the fancy term, um, <laughs> saying that they bribed um, both former House Speaker Larry Householder and former uh, chairman of the Public Utilities Commission of Ohio, Sam Randazzo. The former is pleaded not guilty. The latter has not been charged with any crime. But kind of connecting this back to uh, Lieutenant Governor John Husted, the text messages from First Energy executives basically say that John Husted was pushing for a longer bailout, something lasting more like 10 years as opposed to six or seven. And that would have been more money for the company. And also it takes a look at the appointment of Sam Randazzo to this top utility regulator spot and says that uh, DeWine and Husted were, you know, doing quote unquote battlefield triage to get him into that role after uh, it was clear that he had some ties to First Energy past ties. And so this week they reacted to that. John Husted has said that he was not very involved or not involved in, in passage of House Bill 6 text messages seem to imply that he was more involved. And what he's kind of said is that it was a policy position, right? Like the DeWine and Husted have both been open that they wanted this bailout, that they thought it was a good idea. And what Husted has said is like, just because I lobbied on it didn't mean I knew what Householder was up to. Just because I said like, hey guys, you should pass this bill. He's trying to separate that from what First Energy and Larry were sort of alleged to have been doing behind the scenes. Correct. And the governor weighed in and said that he left a lot of the details to the Ohio legislature. So he had this policy position that Ohio should keep nuclear energy here. And if that required a bailout, then, you know, so be it. But the specifics of it, he says he didn't get involved in. Yeah. And we may learn more when they go to trial in January. Yes. Right now, the trial for Larry Householder and co-defendant, former Ohio Republican Party chairman Matt Borges is set for January. We'll see if that actually happens at that time, but I expect we'll learn a lot more about what happened then. Yeah. And if you're wondering why you should care about this, I will just quickly say, like, if you are a first energy, like if that's where you get your electric or your power from it was going to mean more money every month. Like it was going to be an extra fee that went on your power bill every single month and millions of Ohioans were going to pay it to them. And that's the question, right? Like, did they need this money or did they bribe a lawmaker to get it? That's like the heart of this this trial. Yeah, correct. And even more so, this was going to be spread out to customers across the state, regardless of whether they were first energy customers in some instances. So there was a pretty wide ranging effect, potentially those those fees on your bills were, were repealed after these arrests came out. So our fourth and final topic is Jesse's absolute favorite. It's redistricting. <laughs> she just made a face and I know you guys can't see it, but it was wonderful. So everyone who is involved in the drawing of the new boundaries for Ohio's congressional seats and the ones in the state house can sort of agree that the process well, didn't go so great. Yeah, I would say the only bipartisan agreement on redistricting is that no one had fun here. <laughs> so the big question that Jesse's been trying to answer is what should we do different? Do we need a different law? Do we need to approach the process differently? And Senate President 
Matt Huffman said, no, we need to go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. So Senate President Matt Huffman, a Republican from Lima, who has really played a critical role in the redistricting process, said that the congressional map should be appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court. And he wants the U.S. Supreme Court to weigh in on whether the state Supreme Court kind of overstepped in directing them when to draw maps or how to draw maps. The kind of counterpoint to that is uh, both the Ohio legislature and Ohioans, when they voted in 2018, gave the Ohio Supreme Court authority to take a look at these maps. And to reject them or to approve them. Presumably. And so if the U.S. Supreme Court takes this up, it could be similar to a case in North Carolina. And they're kind of tackling this larger theory of whether legislatures have really almost like carte blanche to control the redistricting process or whether things like commissions or Supreme Courts or laws can restrict that in some ways. It'll be really, I mean, it's a little wonky, but it does fundamentally come down to like who's going to represent us in the state house, who's going to represent us in Congress and like how those maps get drawn, like who ends up in those seats is, I would just say it's super important. That's just my personal opinion. Yeah. Redistricting <laughs> can sound much like a geography lesson, which you know, depending is, on your opinion of geography can be either really <laughs> thrilling or really boring. Um, but this is a high stakes political game, like where these lines draw matters. It matters the indexing of these districts, how likely it is for Republicans or or Democrats to win. And so, you know, there are real world consequences to what pieces of legislation even get heard in the Ohio legislature or brought up in Congress. And one more thing before you go. Columbus school children could be going back to virtual school next week instead of their classrooms. The teachers union has given notice that they intend to strike if a deal on a new contract can't be reached before the first day of school on August 24th. And what was really interesting to me is we talk about national teacher shortages. We talk about burnout and stress amongst teachers and going through COVID and all of this. And like, you look at the list of demands and they're asking for functional air conditioning, smaller class sizes, time to prepare lessons during the school day, dedicated physical education, art and music teachers. And like, none of the list of demands was really dealing with like pay or benefits. And I thought that was like, that was pretty interesting. And I don't know. And I also just think it's kind of crazy that like a week out from school, they don't know whether it'll be in person or virtual. It feels very like pandemic deja vu. Yeah, there's so much up in the air. I think we can all acknowledge that teaching is a tough profession and a noble one, even in the and, in the best of conditions. And teacher retention is really hard right now. Correct. I mean, we're seeing kind of the great resignation in a lot of different fields, but you could certainly see it. And there have been a lot of added pressures from COVID-19 or even, you know, what's being looked at at the state legislature as far as what teachers can teach or should teach. So it's, it's a lot. Yeah. And I guess like, we'll just have to wait and see. They could be negotiating up until the night before the first day of school. Mm -hmm. So I would say, you know, stay tuned. Keep following our reporting on this issue. Ohio Politics Explained is brought to you by the USA Today Network Ohio Bureau. You can find us on Twitter at Ohio Explained. And if you want to learn about any of the topics we covered today, check us out online at any of the newspapers in our network, like CantonRep.com.